0: You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church and Pleasant Green Road. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now here's our pastor with this week's sermon.
1: God is a good God, isn't he? I don't know if you thought much about that song. Um, Just to think about saying, God, you're, you're welcome here. We want to experience your presence. You realize what that would mean? Have you ever heard somebody say, when I get to heaven, I have these questions for God? You ever heard anybody say that? You may have been one of those folks. Say, when I get there, I want to know why he did this or, or why God did this or why you did this. And the truth is, when you get into the presence of God, some of that perspective may change. Because we're talking about a holy, almighty God. And so it's not like you go, like you're you're busting into the kitchen where something's being made, and you go, where is it? I don't do that at home with my wife. And I, I certainly wouldn't walk into God's domain and say, God, you owe me an explanation. And so when, we, when the choir sings a song like that and we get to participate in that, understand we say, God, what, what does it mean to request your presence and, and to be in your presence? Well, that means we get to bow down. That means that, that our, we are so consumed by him being here that all the other things that are happening around us kind of fade. So the person in front of you that keeps messing with their hair, and you're going, I wish they'd stop doing that. Or the person behind that keeps messing with the hair of the person in front. Things get seen from up here. And so, you know, all those things kind of fade because you say, I'm focused on what God, what God has for me this morning. And so all the peripheral stuff, that just kind of goes away because God becomes the center of our attention and our focus. And that's kind of what we want, isn't it? If we were to, to really be honest, we say, God, I, I want your presence. I want to focus on you. I want to hear from you. Now, I realize in a, in a group like this that there's some going, you know, I don't know that I'm ready for God to do that. Uh, I'm here this morning, and I've been used to coming here for a long time, or I'm new here, and if God were to walk into this situation and I would have to respond to God, I'm not sure that I'd be very comfortable in that. And I have to tell you that really, the reality is most of us would not be ready for God to walk in the, in the room and us come face to face with Him. There are some things that we would want to change in our life or alter in our life to get ready for that. Do you agree there, there's like one more thing that I need to do? There, there's one thing I want to address in my life before he gets here, just because if, I, if that's going on, then I'm not ready for him. And so and when we request God's presence, we have to be very careful. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying when we request that, understand that we're talking to the God of creation, saying, God, allow your presence to be felt in this place, and I will respond in a way that is appropriate with your glory. So guys, are you ready? Are you ready for that? It's kind of a solemn thing to think about, isn't it? We're going to be looking at a passage this morning that a little bit familiar, but we're not, we're, we're only going to pull three verses out of it, but the context of it is incredible. Um, when I was coaching baseball in Kentucky, I had a, had a guy on the team, he came out as a, like an 8th grader, 7th or 8th grader, and he came out, and we'd, you know, what we do is we, we kind of look at them as they're warming up, and, and we'll take some of them, we'll send them to the outfield, we'll take others, we'll send them to the infield, and kind of divvy them up and, and try and figure out what kind of skill level they have. And so we sent this, this kid out to the outfield, we said, okay, we want you to catch some fly balls. We're going to hit them, you catch them, and you throw it in. And so he gets in line, and he, he moves to the back of the line, and as the line gets closer, he moves to the back of the line again. We're like, okay, your turn, man. Spence, move to the front. And so he gets to the front. He comes up to the front of the line. We hit a, hit a fly ball to him, and he's looking at it, and we're looking at him and going, oh, I hope this doesn't kill him. You know, because he's, he's like, and you cannot catch a ball. You don't catch a ball like this. That's, it's just not a good plan. Because what is probably going to happen is going to split the difference between your two hands and knock you out. And so we're watching this and, and going, oh Lord. Now I understand why he was moving to the back of the line. And then, and then he, you know, he finally gets through that and you go, I kind of hope he stays in the back of the line. And so we go through this process. And so you hit one on the ground and, and he gets down and, and it doesn't hit his glove, it hits his knees. It hits his legs. And so by the end of practice, he's not caught anything out of the air, but he's let everything that was on the ground hit him in the legs. Like, this is going to be a long season, at least for him. So we go through this whole process. We go through the season, and we get to a place where we're in a pretty good, comfortable position with another team. And we say, it's time to pull some guys in that never get to play, hardly ever make the field. And so we, we get him out into the on-deck circle, and so he's swinging and getting ready, but you could see it in his eyes. He's like, do I really have to do this? And so you walk by him, and you go, you can do this. It's okay. Now, he hadn't hit a ball all season in practice. You can do this, man. It's yours. Get it. Go get it. And so we, we keep pushing it. And he's like, can, can I just go sit down? I like keeping stats. You know, that was his thing. He finally went to the plate. And just to watch. It was kind of interesting because for him, the, it was just that daunting task of taking a bat and finally walking into that place in the middle of a game and having the responsibility for helping his team move forward in that, on the field. And so we got him there. Have you ever been in that place where the thing that you looked at in front of you was so big, so large, um, just, just too hard. Maybe you were too tired um, that it just seemed so overwhelming that it paralyzed you. That's where Spence was. The thing that we had asked him to do was so big in his mind and in his concept of what was going on that, that he just kind of like, I don't know what even to do now. We get that way with, with things, and when you think about what God does, the things that God would ask us to do may seem too big, too large, too overwhelming, and then we look at our schedules we say, we are too tired to even pursue this, and in our response, we say, not me. It would be okay for the person next to me, or okay for the person sitting two rows behind me, but not me. Can't do it but what does God want? Because at that point, do we take God out of the equation when we respond like that? When God says, I want you to do this really big thing, and we respond in, not me. It's kind of what Moses did, didn't it? What, isn't that what happened there at the burning bush? So he said, I want you to do this, and he's like, not me. I can't talk. I'm not a good leader. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. What am I going to tell them? And, he, and God says, I am that I am. Tell them that. Tell them, I am that I am sent you. I guess that's good enough. And so Moses was put in that position. And, and you could go throughout Scripture and find those scenarios where God has something to do some. Something big, something out of their control, something too large, even when they were tired, and their response to God was, I don't know, but I'll trust you anyways. And that's what we find with Nehemiah. We find this, the, the two different scenarios, Nehemiah is over here in an exiled land, and he's over there hanging out, and he's in a position of leadership to some extent, but he understands what's going on and has seen seen what has happened in his home country. There's a remnant of Israel back in the surrounding area around Jerusalem and what Nehemiah saw was a broken down wall around the city. He said, it's just not right. And it breaks his heart to see this. Now, did it break his heart because the wall was broken? I don't think so. I don't think it was as much about the wall as what the wall the wall represented in the life of a nation and in the people of God. Because you see this downtrodden group of folks that surround that. You see, Jerusalem had been the capital. It had been the center of attention. It had been that place where God was worshiped and lifted up. And what Nehemiah saw was just the opposite of that. Would it have been a point of national pride and excitement about the presence of God where you could say, Holy Spirit, you were welcome here, that kind of place? When we look at this, we see, Holy Spirit, you better stay away because this doesn't represent you. And I think that's what Nehemiah was seeing. I think what Nehemiah saw was the people that were broken down and messed up and tired and, and hearing all that, just saying, this job is too big, we'll settle. And that's what they did for years. They lived in the land, walking around the broken pieces of the wall and settled for something less than what God had for them. There's a couple of things I want us to see in this, but let's read it. Nehemiah chapter Chapter 2, starting at verse 16. Follow along. And the officials did not know where I had gone and what I had done. Now, now Nehemiah is in the land, and he's, he's checked it out, and he's prayed, and he's fasted, and he's cried over this situation. So yeah, he says, they did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor what, or had I yet told the Jews and the priests and the nobles and the officials or the rest who did the work. Then, then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in? That Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned by fire. And then he makes a statement that, that is kind of that hinge point for the rest of the story here. He says, come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Now, that's a key statement because what Nehemiah, let's look at, think about what Nehemiah doesn't say. He doesn't say, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that we may be safe. Let's rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that you kind of fill in the blank. But Nehemiah says something completely different, that we may no longer be a reproach. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we look a little bit further in this and unpack it this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship. And Father, there are tasks before us that are daunting, that are too big. And in some ways, we in our schedules get too tired. And the most comfortable place for us to go would be the not me phrase. And so, Father, I pray this morning as we look at your word, as we think about what you've called us to do, as we've invited you here, although you are already here, we invited your presence, God, I pray that in that presence that we'll respond in obedience to you, that we wouldn't hold back, but we would respond to an almighty God, knowing that you have all the resources to accomplish what you ask us to accomplish. And so, Father, do in us and do around us the things that you desire to do for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Nehemiah, and this is, this is so good. Nehemiah says, I didn't tell anybody what I was doing then I decided to tell. He says, you see the bad situation we are in and that Jerusalem is desolate, its gates are burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And then he told them the key. He said, and I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and about, also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. And they said, Let us arise and build, so they put their hands to the good work. Now that's a key phrase in that, and a key response. Because I think if Nehemiah had said, and come in there and go, the walls are messed up, and we need to rebuild because you guys need security. So let's do this. This is what I've thought of, and we need to do this. They would have said, it is one, too big, it's too too um, hard for us to do that. We've been living in this and we're okay with where we're at. But they would have turned Nehemiah down. But I think what they saw in Nehemiah is they saw the hand of God upon his life and the way he presented that, saying, this is not just about walls. This is about something much bigger, much greater. And so the first thing that Nehemiah helps helps them to see is their present reality got to look at the reality of where, where the group is. And at this place, at this point, the wall is broken down. It's a symbol, not just of security, but it's a symbol of the spiritual condition of the people. And I would ask, would you characterize here as a place where the walls are broken? You'd say, I don't know about that. I think we're in pretty good shape. Would you say there's some chips on the wall? maybe some cracks or holes. It's worth considering. Because what he did is he brought out their present reality. The second thing that I think he saw was not just a broken wall that represented their spiritual condition, but it distressed people. Here's the people that surrounded it. And the way he says this, he says... that um, that you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate, its gates are burned by fire. What he was doing is he was calling them out. And he understood, if you go back to Nehemiah 1, where he's praying, he's he's saying, we, the people of God, have failed. We have failed to do what you've called us to do. Therefore, it is the reason we are in exile and a remnant remains around a broken city. Nehemiah understood that. It was a portrait to them of this missing piece in their life. And what he's saying to them is there's a great bit of shame and disgrace that goes with the condition you are living in. But it's not because you didn't rebuild a wall. It's because you're broken on the inside. You've turned away from God. And these were words that cut at the heart of the people of God in that place. As they looked around, they said, you're right, we no longer represent the glory of God. We no longer represent this God who was so big to pull us out of the land of Egypt and give us our own land flowing with milk and honey. We no longer represent that God that did all these miraculous things. Now, we don't represent him at all. We look like we're broken down and our God became this small compared to the other gods in the land which don't even exist. It appeared as though they were poor, broken, unmotivated, non-committal, and complacent. And I would say that we have to look at that list and say, do any of those things describe us? any of the words that Nehemiah would say, would he say them to us and say, you don't represent the glory of God anymore? And it's a sobering thought. So we do self-examination. We check out our present reality. We say, God, where are we? Where are we in this situation? Have we lost our first love? Have we forgotten to move forward with you? For years, the task was too big, too hard, too tiring, and it paralyzed God's people. And what Nehemiah saw was a people that not only belonged to God, but needed to declare they belonged to God. And so he brings them this, this idea, we're going to rebuild the wall. But in that, we're going to rebuild our position, not just in the nation, but our Our relationship to God will be rebuilt in that. This whole idea of that we may no no longer be a reproach is the idea that we reflected one thing that wasn't God and now we we plan to reflect something different that is of God. And so their response to that is let us rebuild. The second thing I want us to see not just the present reality but the painful recognition. It's hard to look at reality. Uh, this, is, this is the way it worked. The, we went on a staff retreat this weekend. And there are some things that we learned at s- staff retreat. But, but some of the learning did not pl- take place in a meeting room with a projector and a computer and, and that kind of stuff. Some of, the, some of the learning that took place, took place in other areas. Like like the pool water, really cold. And, and the fact is that I looked like a wimp for probably 15 minutes standing there on the edge trying to decide if I wanted to jump in. Okay, so we learned that. The other thing we learned is that it takes cooperation to steer a canoe. Now the, the fortunate thing was is that we didn't tip the canoe. So we were partway on our way to success, but but we, we kind of approached um, driving a canoe or steering canoe kind of like the, the hills in, in San Francisco, where you see, you know, go like this. So, so our path was not the straightest path in the world. We had to get through some of that, and we had to learn. And some of that was painful as Deb's going, which way are we going? And I'm like, I don't know, which way are you going? Paddle on the right side, I'll paddle on the left side. No, you paddle on the left side, I'm paddling on the right side. And so we go through all that, and we We've got to communicate. Yeah, we do. So we go through all that, and sometimes it's the painful recognition of that which, where you've fallen short, that helps you to see what step you need to take next. And for Nehemiah, the painful recognition was, we as a people of God have failed you, God. And we've become a reproach before the nations. They no longer look at us as the people of God, or look at us as a people with a big God. They look at us as somebody with a small guy that really has no commitment to them at all. And sometimes that is painful. And we start talking about painful recognition as a church, we need to look at our past. We need to look at some of those pieces. Because the pieces that are behind us sometimes set the foundation for what is ahead of us. Now, I'm going to mention a couple of things, and some of you in here who have been here a while are going to go, uh, that that hurts. I, I want to cringe. I want to kind of be like walking into cold water when it's nice and warm outside the pool. You're going to hesitate with it, and you're going to push back on it. And I imagine that the people that lived in that surrounding area around Jerusalem with those walls broken down, as Nehemiah was declaring this and said, we We, the people of God, have failed. They did the same thing. They didn't just all jump on board and say, let's roll. They didn't do that. I'm convinced some of them fell to their knees and said, we've messed up. We've let this go on too long. See, there is a a church split in the history of this church. that may not be a very pleasant thing to even think about. And there are other things. There are reputations in the community that we'd say, we wish we could undo that, but we can't. And anytime you go through a church split or any kind of um, discussion in a church where it gets heated or it goes back and forth or a group of people leave or all that stuff, realize that it just doesn't affect that which is in the walls of the church, it gets out into the community and then you have to overcome that as well. So some of those are in the history of our church. And it's not a comfortable place to be. Now the fortunate thing is that the walls of the church have not closed. That God is still at work. God has not done And so when we look at the painful things that have taken place, we also look at the good things that have taken place. And we say, okay, God allowed this building to be built. God has allowed us to go from the the small old sanctuary that was down there that's now the children's area, and He's allowed us to have this beautiful worship center that still has empty seats, by the way, in case you were wondering. He's allowed us that. He's allowed us to buy a bunch of land a mile north of here in in a place where land is prime. And he's allowed us to buy it at a good pl- at a good price a while back and now it's time to start using it for something that glorifies him. God's given us that but we have to move forward. And she so say, "Okay, I'm I may not like the history, but the, all of the history is not bad. Just all the history is not good. But we learn from it, and we move forward from it. I read a quote this week, and it wasn't, it wasn't something that, that I came up with. It wasn't something I studied. In fact, it, the, the reality is it was quoted by a former pastor from here. In fact, Pastor Earl. This is what he quoted. It was Erwin McManus. I thought, that's a good quote. I'm going to use that. And I'll even quote the quoter. Erwin McManus says this, you cannot follow Jesus into the future while holding on to the past. And I would agree with that. hold on to the past too tightly like the rubble around the city of Jerusalem and you'll never put your hands on the hammer that'll fix the wall. Nehemiah didn't dwell on the mistakes or the sins of the past. He took ownership, confessed it, and moved on. There was an advancement with the nation. And we can acknowledge our issues that have caused divisions, heartache, hard feelings. We can see where God's hand has prospered our church, but we don't dwell on either one of those. We use them as a springboard that moves forward. I know that when I drive, the thing that I cannot do is constantly peer into my rearview mirror. I'm moving forward. The last part of this, not only does that recognition take place, but we have to have a powerful response Verse 18, it says, let us rebuild. And the idea is that we're going to move from this spot and we're going to put these things together so that we would not be a reproach. We, essentially, we would start reflecting the glory of God to the nations around us. And they would understand how big our God is. Now, that's a big step. It's a large step. I want to remind us of just two facts, two things that have come out. We've looked at some demographics on our staff retreat, but here's two things that I want you to catch. Those that have no religious affiliation, and I want you to hear this, no religious affiliation at all outnumber those with any affiliation by 43,000 within the scope of our church field. Did you hear that? 43,000 people have no affiliation. That means you could add to that number those you think aren't even in churches that teach the Bible. Within our church field, 43,000. And we're talking about just a box around our church. So there's a mission field out there that doesn't belong to any other church. So seeking people that belong to another church to come here because this the, you like this place is not church growth. It's not reaching the unsaved. We've got plenty in that group. There's 155,000 people that claim no religious affiliation at all right now. We have a job. The second thing that I want you to catch is that our population growth over the next five years, within the box will be 8,000 people. And by 2030, it'll be 14,500 new people in this area. If we stay exactly the same, we've fallen behind in the task that God's called us to do. So you say, it's too big, it's too large, I'm too tired, I can't do it. I agree. It's too large, it's too big, I'm too tired. Maybe the answer should be not me. Maybe you could say the same thing, it's not me. But then you have to ask, what did God call us to do? What what might we need to put aside to pursue what God's called us to do? In Nehemiah's day, they had to put some things aside so they could rebuild a wall. It couldn't be as usual the next day after this. You know, when you start building a wall around a city, there has to be some labor involved. So everything that they had been doing in the city up to that point, some of that had to be put on hold so they could do the tasks that they were being asked to do. So in Nehemiah's day, to avoid the reproach and to change the whole perspective of who God was and who the people of God were, they had to change what they did and how they did it. God asks us, what does God... Well, we'll go back to the question we asked last week. What does God want us to be and do? In Matthew chapter 9... There's a really short piece, and we're familiar with part of it. I'm going to start at verse 35, chapter 9, verse 35. It says, And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So you get the, get the picture. Jesus is going around doing what Jesus does. He's speaking, he's teaching, he's healing. And he's pointing them to understand the God that has sent him to die on their behalf. And then in verse 36, he says, And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion on them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And so when Jesus is going around teaching and healing and doing all those things, what he sees is a group of people that are just like the people that surrounded the Jerusalem area with the walls torn down. They were people that were in bad shape. If Jesus were to look at the 43,000 or the 5,000 that are coming in or the 8,000 or the the 14,500 that are going to come among the people that are already not in a relationship with him, what would Jesus say and see? He would see a people that were like sheep without a shepherd. And his heart would break for them. I would venture to say that some in this room, if Jesus walked in and we talked about the presence of God, he would say, my heart breaks for you. like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore pray or ask or beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The area around Jerusalem did not have to be bought by God. The area around Jerusalem was already his. What God was asking the people in Nehemiah's day to do was to stand up and rebuild. What Jesus is asking in, in chapter 9 of Matthew is to stand up and rebuild. To step into a place that's uncomfortable. To reach a people that have no idea who God is. And to make a difference for His kingdom. Is it too big? Is it too large a task? Sure. Sure. It's what we've been called to do. There's an interesting part in this, um, two pieces. Vance Habner said this. He said, the uh, Sunday morning Christianity is the greatest hindrance to revival. That hurts. Because that means that the 43,000 that are outside the walls of any kind of relationship with God look at the church as anemic. They look at the church as unproductive and having no value. And maybe it's because they've seen some of that. It's not necessarily what I see. But it does spark us to to move forward and to get excited about what God has done in our life and then portray that to a world that needs to know the love of Christ. Christ. By the grace of God, we must go. By the grace of God, we proclaim the joy that is in us because of who Jesus is. I don't want those around us to see a church that's not doing or not being the church that God's called us to be. The cool part of Nehemiah, if you go over to chapter 3, it starts listing the people that worked on the wall. And this is, this is what it uses, th- this phrase. It uses, and it goes through these names. It says, and next to, and after. This whole idea of being beside. And so the people started getting together, and this family was here, and this family was next to, And this family was right after them. Then this other family was next to and after and next to and after and after and next to until they worked on the whole wall. See, nobody was really left out of the equation. They took everybody to complete what God was asking them to do. For us, we have to ask ourselves if we see the things that Jesus sees. If we look at the multitude, the 43,000 on that that statistic, or the ones that we see that sit next to us at the office or at the hospital or in in some other place that, that are in the classroom with us, do we see them the same way Jesus sees them? And do we have a heart of compassion for them? Because until we see the way Jesus sees and have the heart that Jesus has, that we'll be complacent in letting the rubble settle around us and, and le- learn to live with a broken down wall. As God's called us to a big future. A vision that is beyond what we can accomplish on our own. And so I want to ask you to do a couple of things. There's a vision that is only accomplished when we have the heart of Christ is directed by God's heart to pursue what God lays out before us. And then us, next to each other, doing what God's called us to do. So I want to ask us to do this. There may be some in this room that have no relationship with Christ. You say, if I had to answer the question, if I were to die tonight, would I go to heaven? I'd have to answer, I'm not sure, or I don't know, or, or the answer, just no. Well, I would invite you this morning to come forward during, when we stand up and, and there's some singing going on, to come forward and just have a conversation about what it means to follow Christ and turn over your life to Him. Pastor Curry will be down here, Pastor Scott will be down here, and there'll be others that could, lead you and help you to understand what it means to turn over your life to Christ. So first of all, I would invite you to come and, and say, God, I need you. And just come to the front and have that conversation. The second part of that is very similar to what Nehemiah did. Is he asked the people to pray and then commit to rebuilding the wall. And so we're not not making a commitment because of, of that kind of magnitude. Like there's not something that you can say, I'm ready to take my hammer to it right now. But what I would ask you to do is to come and pray. Because God has something for us. And I don't want to be part of a group that says, I'm okay where we're at. I want to be part of a group that has a passion for reaching the group of people that are not part of a church anywhere. I want to be part of a group of people that want to see these seats filled not just so we can say we had a crowd but, but that we can make a difference for the kingdom of God. And so I'm going, to ask, I'm going to ask a bunch of you to come and pray that we would be the people of God Sold out to do whatever He asks us to do, and regardless of the "I'm too tired," "I'm too," it's too big, and I, and I, it's not me to go beyond that and saying, "God, whatever it takes, that we would not be a reproach, but that we would reflect Your glory in a way that is appropriate to an Almighty God." So, would you stand? And as the music's playing. As that happens, um, you make a commitment. You come and you pray or you come to receive. That got interesting. Um, Come to receive Christ. I'd ask you to be part of that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time in this room this morning. And God, I pray that you would... Help us to respond in a way that is appropriate and that brings you glory. God, may you be glorified in the way that that we respond to your call. Father, we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Stay. Yeah. way that you can pursue building a wall is to let go of the things that you're holding on to so you can grab a hammer. You can't do hammering and doing what God's called you to do by holding on to a bunch of other stuff. It doesn't work like that. So some of you may be in this spot and say, I'm I'm still holding on to a couple things and it's just uncomfortable for me to let go. I understand that but I want to plead with you to to let go of the things that would keep you from following after Jesus with a whole heart, from getting all in on the wall. Let go of those things. And see what God does with your life because the the end result of this thing was that the people of God became that, that picture of a glorious God working among His people that would set the stage for the coming of a savior that would come and live a perfect life and to go to a cross and die on your behalf. It was all about setting the stage for the redemption of mankind because God's people were obedient with a hammer and a chisel and were willing to go to work on a wall, all in God's story. The question is, will you be part of God's story here and what he has for us going down the road? We'll sing through that one more time. And if if you need to still come and pray, or just where you're at need to pray, then you do that.
0: We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.